pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Greta Gerwig about her triumphant new adaptation of Little Women, and essays on Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, The Safdie Brothers' Uncut Gems, Celine Siama's Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and the action films of Tamil director Vetri Madan. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. It's a busy couple of months for moviegoers as hits from festivals make their way into cinemas. That means it's time for another New Releases episode, where we talk about some highly anticipated titles. Joining me for this discussion are Devika Girish, Assistant Editor at Film Comment, and Michael Gillespie, Associate Professor of Film at the City College of New York. Among the movies we get to talk about are Atlantics, The Irishman, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is coming out soon in December. Let's go to our conversation. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Nick Rapold, Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and this is our latest edition of new releases, um, and that will be us just talking about movies that are out, that have recently come out, or that are tantalizingly around the corner. Um, it's been a while since we did one, I think probably because we've been talking about a lot of things at the New York Film Festival, during the New York Film Festival, uh, but now some of these movies are already coming out, so we can talk about them now that you've seen them. I'm very happy to be joined by... My name is Michael Gillespie. I'm a film professor at the City College of New York. Um, I think I do a lot of research and writing on issues around uh, the idea of black film, visual historiography, and popular music. Well, welcome. This is your debut run on the podcast. I hope I hope it's entertaining. <laughs> so far, so good. So far, so good. Okay. What, what, what listeners can't see is that I'm juggling with one hand, so that's that's part of the entertainment here. Um, Ambidextrous soul that you are. That's right. Um, and, of course, we also have... Devika Girish. I'm the assistant editor. Uh, Devika is also the author of our cover story in our new issue, November, December, uh, Little Women, a blockbuster interview with Greta Gerwig. I'm sure we'll have a chance to talk on this very podcast about how exactly fun it was and and unravel the movie. Yes, mm, um, in all its exuberant details. Yes, uh, Little Women uncensored. I that's exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Little <laughs> Women, big talk. <laughs> so stay tuned for I that. I want that T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good T-shirt. We yeah. should make that one. Um, but yeah, definitely. Um, Get a copy of the issue. Yes, pick up a copy of the issue. Myself. Something to look forward to. Um, but uh, let's let's dive into what we've been seeing. Um, so I thought we could maybe start off with uh, Atlantics, which was uh, you know a you know big uh, big hit at Cannes, and then again at the New York Film Festival, and of course Toronto. Just each new successive wave of audience that discovers it, um, I think. Um, it's has, it's only deepened in its in its appeal. Um, so uh, I feel like I might have already talked a bit about it before. So I, I'll I'll cede the floor for whoever wants to dive in and just uh, get into it a bit. One of the things that I always insist on doing is uh, refusing to read anything about a film. Um, I know at one point when I was starting grad school, it was important for me to kind of build my knowledge by at least being familiar with what it won at Cannes and at Venice mm -hmm. and, and it played at the New York Film Festival over the years. And so I was very excited to see the film, mm -hmm. being uh, deliberately clueless about what I was going to be seeing. Um, I think from the start, I was thoroughly uh, adored that opening tracking shot when they're all in the back yeah. of the truck going yeah. with that kind of telephoto shot. And so things are coming in and out of focus and you have that very eerie kind of grinding and droning score that's going on as well. Yeah. Um, I was particularly struck by, there were a few films that I saw at the festival, which played this kind of genre bait and switch with me mm -hmm. where, where, <laughs> where, yeah. where I was, uh, I mean, the thing for me is that when I think about genre, I'm always thinking of it in, in, as kind of a discourse, that mm -hmm. it's not this kind of 
static category. Right. And so I had a particular expectation about Atlantique so that suddenly, and I was, I, I welcomed the direction that it ended up going by the end. And the, and yeah. I found it very comparable because I think I might have seen Zombie Child in the same day as yes. well. That again, yeah. where uh, you, you, you see a film which seems to be uh, engaging with a particular kind of modality, mm-hmm. and then it drops into it, and yeah. and it was quite stunning. But I but I particularly enjoyed this measure around. Um, I, I suppose we could think about it as em, as embodied haunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that seemed to be almost a recurring you know mode at at um, at. at I don't know the the festivals in the past few months, um, if only between those those two films. Um, yeah, it's 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 really interesting that phrase bait and switch kind of uh, because that is what happened to me. It's really a movie that I have to say came into its own more for me on that second viewing when you know when you know what beats it's hitting, what it's ignoring, what it's not actually about at all. Right. Um, and it's it's one of those things where you uh, yeah you kind of have to be or I had to be like liberated from some of those discourses in, in order to see it for what it what it is. Have you seen the short? Um, yes, yes, I have. I don't have the clearest memory of it. But right, yeah. right. I mean, I I watched the short afterwards, and I was yeah. I was amazed at the distance between the short yeah. and the feature. Yeah. yeah. It is. It is a kind of, and also just between the feature and her her other kind of short and mid length work, right. um, which is very provocative for me, and but still felt a little conceptual, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and this felt much more lived in. I mean, I mean, partly just when you're shooting in a location like that, and and just you right. have that amount of time to live with the characters, um, I think it just reaches a different level. I saw it at TIFF. And I was absolutely entranced by it. Mm. I do think, for me, it is one of the best films of the year. Um, And one of the films that has lingered most in my mind since I've seen it. The scene that you just mentioned of these, uh, basically, these young teenaged construction workers on a truck through the streets of Senegal after they've been told that their months of back pay for their back-breaking work is deferred once again. You know, exceptional electronic score. We have an interview with her also in the new issue. So yeah, <laughs> just want to take this opportunity to plug that. Yeah, I've been enjoying listening to that her music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. me too. Yeah, I've been listening yeah. to her albums on repeat since yeah. I saw the film. And, and what she does, the, that particular scene also stands out to me because of the music. That's one of the reasons it really nest, like just lodged itself in my brain. Right. Um, and... And also to just give listeners a snapshot of the plot. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's You're about spoil it for him. Well, a broad of the land is that it's the story basically of these young women. I, I'll say it's the story of young teenage mm-hmm. women in Senegal, yeah. whose lovers and friends, whose male lovers and friends, basically embark on a trip across the Atlantic in a boat. To try and, you know, they're like economic refugees in a sense. Right. They are trying to immigrate to Spain, I believe. Is, am I right? Or yeah, it, across uh, the Mediterranean. So right. yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because the economic conditions back home are terrible. They haven't been paid for their job in ages. And so they're basically setting out for, you know, seeking a better life. And it ex- the film explores what that does to those left behind. Um and it does that in a very interesting way, as you just as you just described it as this embodied haunting. Uh, it animates the myths of the jinn, the sort of Islamic Arabic myth, myths of possession. I don't know. It just brings together these various narratives in a way that struck me as so elliptical and so it's surprising, really. And right. and so bait and right. switch makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, it's so fluid and seamless that it right. it's almost not a bait and switch it just it, it it's it just flows together and and in keeping with what i think is this theme of water and the ocean and mm. the way it like encompasses you know various strands mm-hmm. um and so the story follows this young woman ada i think her name is mm-hmm. and she is in love with a young man named suleiman who we see in that beginning shot in the truck and then he disappears along with all these other men overnight right. And we discover that she is promised to uh, another man. She has sort of this arranged marriage with a man whom she doesn't love, this rich 
uh, like foreign educated, sort of some kind of entrepreneur mogul. And CAD. Yeah, CAD. <laughs> and on the, actually on the night of their wedding, someone sees, uh, someone says that they suddenly see Suleiman, who until mm. everyone assumes is dead, who died in the crossing. And at the same time, there's a mysterious fire in the protagonist's uh, marital bed. And so this sort of sets up the framework for a mystery, a supernatural sort of ghost story. There's a detective who is trying to figure out what happened, who also gets embroiled in the fantastical framework of the film. Mm -hmm. And I guess I can't really say more without spoiling yeah, I love how you're just taking them right to the edge. I know, I, I, and I'll I'll leave it there. But there's a story of oppression, of economic exploitation, mm. and of the realities that I think a lot of people don't think about when they're thinking about people setting across the ocean to try and enter another country. Right. That is brought to life here. I mean the the very nuts and bolts of that situation, the grinding, sobering realities of that situation are brought to life here in the most haunting, in the most sort of translucent and beautiful mm. way possible. Mm. Film is shot by Claire Mathon, who also filmed Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And it, it her cinema, her cinematography, Fatima Al-Qadiri's music, and what it, Mati Diop's just eye for, you know, angles and oblique ways of looking at things right. they all just merge together into this trance-like film that that i found absolutely transporting and devastating at the same time i mean it's i it's from the standpoint of seeing the movie out in the world i'm kind of excited for that um because i don't i don't feel like there's been a movie like this out in the world with also this kind of reach just by virtue of it being something people can click on in Netflix um, by the end of November, I guess, or something like that, um, which is interesting to me. And I guess I should be fulminating here against that or something and saying that the only genuine way to see this movie would be in a theater. I do think that's the best way. But there's also, because of its virtue of it being kind of like mesmerizing and trancing and something you could like curl up with and get lost in it it does strike me as an interesting like home televisual experience as well I don't as know. long as you do it in one sitting yeah. oh well yes <laughs> yeah of that, course and yeah. i hope and yeah i agree if you have a good sound system i yeah, hope yeah, because yeah, so much yeah. of the movie is in the sound yeah. and uh, i think what what i was saying earlier was the movie really foregrounds desire as a way to understand mm -hmm. all of these realities. And yeah. it sort of reminded me of Bo Travai in a few scenes of dancing in a nightclub where there's this play of neon lights and yeah. um, and the movement of bodies. It reminded right. me of certain scenes from that film. Yeah. And I was thinking a lot about how, like that film, desire and um, you know the unsaid longings of love become such a powerful metaphor to explore oh, most you know, the, the yeah. narratives of immigration, which is, there's a lot of films about migration and refugees nowadays, just because, you know, it's such mm -hmm. a present theme in today's world. But I think few have taken, that I've seen have taken this approach of exploring it through specifically, you know, teenage or young desire, yeah. and mm -hmm. which which is so wrecking that it, it really captures the scope of that phenomenon in yeah. a way that I found surprising. Yeah. No, that was the, what you said was was fabulous. I mean, there aren't very many stories told like this because usually the question of of economics and migration is is approached strictly as a measure of content. There is no real formal uh, or, or or any kind of formal ex uh, experimentation is not necessarily a motivation for the film. Um, the way that you're talking about bodies and desire reminds me a lot of Lauren Berlant's work. Her Desire Love uh, um, uh, book is most especially, mm -hmm. where she talks about desire as the way that we attach ourselves, how we anchor ourselves in the world. Mm -hmm. And 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 watching Atlantiques, um, I did think of it in, in very much about um, a, a kind of body cinema, a kind of dance film, in the same way that it gave me so many lovely flashbacks to say Anna Rose Homer's film The Fits mm -hmm. uh, of, of of the ways in which mm -hmm. this film is this this kind of exquisite focus on seeing bodies in time and bodies in motion 
and 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 this kind of affecting quality of that of how these are people that are are moving through uh, particular um, issues around capital and 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 precarity and and still kind of thriving still desiring beings in impossible situations um, but still desiring beings in time yeah no, that really resonates for me. The especially the idea of dance as, as some kind of free space that's neither here nor there, and especially that club. The way she films it, there there are these constant. She turns like the lights in the club, which can be the tackiest things into the most wonderful thing. <laughs> you know, this it's like there's a constellation around them, and there are a couple points where she just rests on like this repeating pattern of the lights, um, and it feels like that's some sort of dream space where. They can be free, but also sometimes they're working things out. It just feels like this third space somehow. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the juke joint by the sea kind yeah. of quality yeah. uh, of that. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, also, I mean, you've mentioned in the wake, so of course, I mean, Christina Sharp's work comes to mind a lot of thinking mm-hmm. about what does it mean to live in uh, in to live in a time where one is dealing with kind of the afterlives of the transatlantic slave trade. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean Mm -hmm. to live in the wake of um, a particular kind of measure of colonialism and Um, post-colonialism? And there's that just kind of residual um, uh, yet insistently emergent state of of living in that time and living in that history Mm -hmm. that makes it so glorious of a film. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and what you were saying about the nightclub scene, just a larger point I want to make is I, I really love how the film and the way it's shot commits to the setting. It's, I think it's gorgeous the way mm. light and movement and surfaces are brought together. At the same time, I sometimes feel like certain films like these can over-aestheticize the setting in a way that removes you from the setting. Right. And here, it the, right. the film really captures the texture of the place you know this nightclub seems totally ethereal in keeping with the themes of the film and vibrant and gorgeous at the same time it's like a rundown little shack run by these teenage girls by the (laughs) by the sea you know and the she manages what you were saying about the third space i think mati and the dp claire mathon they really managed to capture that the space in its actual sensuality and physicality, mm-hmm. but also finding ways to make it exceedingly beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's pretty remarkable too. Yeah, right. and just and just picking up uh, the idea of the ocean and, and the transatlantic slave trade, uh, it makes me think for some reason of something that came up in the interview with uh, Fatima El Kadiri that Amadi Diop wanted the sound, wanted the music to sound like it was coming from the deep. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I just found that kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was like struggling to say earlier. I think, and I, I think is every time I try to talk about this film, I genuinely cannot find the right words yeah, because I find it very ineffably affecting. Oh yeah, yeah. And it, I don't know. There's something about the metaphor of the ocean that describes everything about this film for me. Yeah, so I can't really yeah. put it in words how, but there's the whole film feels like it flows. It's fluid. It's oceanic, and right. you know it's. The metaphor of water just works perfectly for it. And drowning. And, and yeah, a spectatorial kind of and drowning. evaporating. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the sun setting on on all of it as well. Um, well, I I think we have a good maybe couple of segues there to um, by way of Clermontan and by way of desire and maybe also by way of kind of. Uh, re-examining and re-experiencing the past um, with uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, um, which uh, we showed in, in the New York Film Festival as a, a film comment presentation, um, and which was a lot of fun, I should also say. <laughs> I mean, um, Celine Siama is... Yeah, I think she declared her presidency over the course <laughs> of that Q&A, uh, which is kind of amazing. She's so funny yeah. and, and just... Whip smart. Yeah, <laughs> very funny. Um, real pleasure to watch her live. Yeah. Um, and, well, Devika, I have to say you were too good at, at summarizing Atlantic. So what do you, how, can, you, can you do that? Can do you that? top that? Yeah. Oh, can you top dear. that? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll do my best. Um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire 
also we have a I should say we have a feature on it in our latest yes. issue every oh. <laughs> yes that, um, not to be an endless promotion mm, yeah like, by Lauren Lauren Kaminsky actually references uh, the Argonauts in a very interesting yeah. way mm-hmm. and that um, that essay actually opened up the film to me a lot so I thought I, sh- I should mention it yeah um, but it's it's set in 17th century France um, do you remember what that the particular location of the film yeah she was asked basically it was said this is in you know Brittany, and she says that yes but we're not saying that i don't know why right <laughs> seems like a maybe a french thing but. and the husband there was that there was there was also that kind of geographical issue for me about the husband coming from milan or somewhere in italy right. so i there was yeah. there were issues around the, there is some mention about how long of a trip that would be it's true yeah, yeah. Well, long overland trip. Maybe we'll yeah. just say it, it in a shore side, <laughs> a craggy, undisclosed, yeah, undisclosed in an indeterminate <laughs> or maybe unknown to this particular group. Longitude, yeah. shore side, unknown, yeah. Yeah. sort of remote, craggy, windswept location. Yeah. And there's a, a noblewoman, La Comtesse, the hmm. Countess. Her daughter is promised to a Milanese suitor. Mm-hmm. And as were as was the custom at the time, you know, before the age of pictures and other electronic <laughs> uh, devices, right. uh, apparently there were portraits made of these women, mm. um, soon to be married women, and transported to their suitors who were far away, so they could get a sense of what their uh, bride looks like. And yeah. so the the woman who the bride is Eloise was played by Adele Hanel. Her mother hires a young painter who goes by the name of Marianne, mm-hmm. played by Noémie Merlant. Please forgive my terrible French <laughs> pronunciations here. You're brave. I'm doing the best. <laughs> I'm just take, I, take I got the titles <laughs> down. I'm not saying director's names. <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. Um, anyway, so this painter is hired to do the portrait, and we actually open with her the film is from the point of view of Marianne. Right. And she, we open with her approaching this this place um, on a boat, and she's mm. carrying this canvas. Mm-hmm. And she comes in basically with no knowledge of the task other than, you know, she just knows she has to paint this portrait. She doesn't know who this woman is, what their background is. And soon she realizes that this woman's older sister was initially promised to the same man right. and that she jumps off of, that she recently died because she jumped off a cliff in right. order to not uh, go through with this marriage and that the woman that she's about to paint, Eloise, is also very stubborn and she refused to sit for a previous painter who tried to paint a portrait right. and therefore Marianne basically has been hired to paint this uh, image in secret. So she has to pretend mm. to be a companion who takes Eloise out on walks and then furtively takes sketches and do the painting at night, which is already such an interesting um, set yeah. of like rife with all sorts of narrative yeah. and erotic possibilities. Yeah. Um, and then again, I, I will again leave the plot at the brink of where it enters spoiler territory. <laughs> but basically, they get more, they get closer and closer. They yeah. fall in love. This yeah. is not a spoiler. This is a Cillian Siama film. Yeah, it's, it's a lesbian love story. Uh, but the way it ends is genuinely quite surprising, and it, it, it's the narrative is quite bare bones. It's, it's a story of two women, an artist and her muse, falling in love, and their love ends. In somewhat predictable ways, um, in ways that you would expect off the time, but it's in the details of how their love develops, um, in both the emotional details and the intellectual details, because this is a relationship between a painter and her Mm. muse, both of whom are women in the 17th century. Um, That's where the film, I think, gains its really stunning richness. It brings in a lot of erudition I think Mm. and a lot of literary and um, artistic ideas that I was I was not sure that the film would be able to sort of imbibe them in the totally affective and emotional way that it did because it it could seem like a schematic move but the way in which again coming back to desire the way in which this film folds those 
those more intellectual ideas into a really fiery and kind of explosive exploration of desire is, is right. remarkable again. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was surprised by how much I was um, thinking about an erotics of portraiture of, mm -hmm. of the, the ways in which the film is so deeply attentive to thinking about the process of the construction of a portrait right. and how that detail quickly crosses over into this kind of burgeoning love story between mm -hmm. the two and how that gets articulated uh, I found quite fascinating through the canvases. I mean, that opening sequence that you talk about when she's coming over the boat and her canvases fall in the water <laughs> and she jumps in immediately, uh, I was taken at that point uh, immediately. And, and then yeah. the ways in which, again, the her kind of laboring body making its way up that shore before we're finally into this uh, on the edge of that cliff. Yeah. Um, again, this was another film where um, I refused to read anything, mm -hmm. and 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 in every case that I saw of of the films during the festival, yeah, it, it was it was a great joy. Yeah, no, I I think there, this is one where you you kind of go along with them heartbeat by heartbeat if you have nothing already. You know, it's, it, I, I think it's especially fruitful not to have someone else's textual interpretation of it already or someone's dissection of it already um, going, going into it. Um, and yeah, the, the erotics of the portraitures, it, it was very interesting because it, it almost felt like it was, it was doing something with, it was finding a new way into that, that, you know, I mean, we've all seen like dozens of movies of, you know, I usually well men usually kind of like coming to some discovery about their muse yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. and 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 it's kind of usually pretty predictable but, but it's treated like some great discovery here it's 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 something um kind of secretive kind of furtive it almost like um uh disassembles the process of of art making in a way that somehow felt new to me I, you know just right. the sense that well, how do you paint someone? How does that actually work? You know, you sit down and you look at them. Okay, well, what if I did those separately? What if I was looking at them? The color shading yeah. that goes on in these sequences is stunning. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, they find there's a vividness of it to it. Like all the colors are, you feel them exposed to the sea air almost. You know, like there's just very... Yeah, briny. Briny, yes. <laughs> and, and what you're saying, that's, that's what I loved about the film. Obviously, we've seen a lot of films about artists and their muses, whether it's photographers or painters or mm. writers. And I think in a lot of these, that tipping point that you know goes from trying to capture someone's likeness into erotics is often centered around voyeurism it's like right. this act of looking and paying attention to someone's body and someone's figure so easily can become an erotic fixation mm -hmm. but in this film it's that but it's not as much this voyeurism as much as like you said the question of trying to like, can you capture someone? So the mm. most interesting point in the film to me is when Marianne shows her, you know, she reveals who she is. The first portrait. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and yes. Eloise goes, is that how you see me? <laughs> exactly. Right. And exactly. that is the crux of the film. It's, you know, and that's what yeah. turns into love and desire is not her just staring at this woman's body and face. It's more that wrestling with this question of, Am I reducing this person when I'm right. and what am I losing? What is it what is that quality that I'm losing mm -hmm. in turning this person into a portrait? And what is it about them that makes them so especially alive and present to me in this right. moment? Yeah. And the debates that spring the debates between them that spring from that are just so productive and they draw yeah. in their housemaid, mm. um, who is another sort of becomes a significant character yeah. in the film. Mm -hmm. And the three of them just sitting and talking about Orpheus oh, Eurydice. Eurydice. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, the Greek myth. Don't and they look talk. back. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. they talk yeah. about yeah. all the, the mechanics and the uh, politics of the gays. The folk songs with the women around the yeah. fire. Yeah. 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 I mean, what, the, to me, it, it, I was, at some point, I, I just had a cheeky time appreciating it as the most, uh, as, as a perfect critique of classical art history. Hmm. Of of the ways in which it demands um, demands and disputes the kind of issues around power, 
uh, of the ways in which there's been uh, um, too much romanticization around the artist and the muse, which is always usually thought of and as as in in, in, in terms of a, a singular approach. I mean, you're seeing uh, an art process which is very much driven by a kind of reciprocity mm-hmm. uh, of where the 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 muse is not mute. Uh, the muse is actually as 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 legitimate a, a player in the process as well, um, and they both kind of blossom in a in a fabulous way. Yeah, absolutely. And relatedly, th- this is an insight I'm totally stealing from the feature by Lauren. <laughs> yeah, and it, she talks about this in such an intelligent way. I found it very captivating. Is that the film is also talking about the gaze, it's really a film about the gaze, about the workings of the gaze, mm-hmm. both um, in its observational and its desirous, you know, workings. But it's totally a female gaze, you know, the object mm-hmm. is a woman, mm-hmm. um, the owner of the gaze is a woman, <laughs> this, this filmmaker is a woman. And so it's opening up all these other possibilities about how the gaze works and how it's politicized that are outside of the usual just binaries right. we tend to you know think of the gaze within and we just think of the male gaze as this default position especially right. in erotic situations and this right. film is just opening up all these other possibilities for how the gaze might operate and all these other viewpoints um through which you can enter an image right yeah i mean it actually sent me down i mean the uh there were two films, strangely, which I, I, I ended up thinking a lot about after I saw it. I mean, particularly in terms of the dynamics of looking. One of them is Nagisa Oshima's In the Realm of the Senses, mm-hmm. and particularly in terms of its emphasis on um, this measure of watching within these spaces. And the other is the Anais Nin character in Henry and June. There are There are some incredible sequences there which are exclusively through her... Um, POV, or at least it, uh, an emphasis on her watching, which disputes, um, say, Henry Miller's impression mm-hmm. of what's going on in a particular sequence. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in general, I mean, what you said was was totally uh, and, and a part of what's incredible about the film uh, of, again, kind of inhabiting. I mean, because if you look at that landscape, it's not we're not in the tropics. <laughs> you know, this is not, this right. isn't like some space where there, where you can expect to see a cornucopia at every turn. Right. But it is, but it becomes a, a thriving space through um, uh, the, the kind of mutuality of these two characters. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Greta Gerwig about her triumphant new adaptation of Little Women, and essays on Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, The Safdie Brothers' Uncut Gems, Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and the action films of Tamil director Vetri Madan. Plus, Rossellini's history films, streaming Adam Sandler, composer Fatima Al-Qadidi on Atlantics, and much more. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Well, maybe now I'll kind of mischievously take us on a bit of a, a, a U-turn uh, into dude town or something like it. Um, Nick's like, enough women. Enough women. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, there's so much more we could say about both of these films. Um, I'm curious. Where the hell are we going? <laughs> dude town, of course. Uh, no, I just thought of it. You know, I'm curious because... The Irishman um, is is a movie that you know somewhat conspicuously is is very much about you know the relations between um, men and and very much about being a man and what that means you know and how that changes and does it involve regular murder? Um, uh, personally, me personally, no. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, uh, but that's also a movie that's coming out. It'll probably, I think it'll be soon to be out when this comes I out. I believe November 15 is the 15th. Okay. release date. All right. So yeah. that's still, so yeah. So that's in the mix too. Um, this is a movie I would say no to watching at home. <laughs> Maybe more definitive, uh, definitiveness than, than uh, other movies. Um, but The Irishman, I don't know. This is Scorsese's kind of summa, I guess you could say, in the sense that it seems to like... I don't know, um, yeah, sum up and, and recapitulate a lot of things he's done. It has the feel of a, of a elegiac or late work in a way, uh, because it, and just the scope of it, like a man's life, um, right. the whole span of it. Um, and it's actually a movie that I'm 
I feel like I've experienced a little differently than some people. I've somehow had a more morbid experience of it. I've just somehow really zeroed in onto the predominance of, of death throughout it. And not just in the sense that it's, it's going to be all of his life. So from him being a guy in the army in World War II, um, all the way to him being in, a, in like a, a nursing home, um, which is what bookends the movie. Um, but just it being like suffused with like death and a kind of living death also of just the routine of his life and the sense of putting so much into this life mm. and everything you've got, all the loyalty and love that you can or can't express and coming out at the end of that. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't know, but also I just feel like there are a lot of killers in <laughs> on TV. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Generally. I mean, so I was at that, when was it? 9 a.m. on Friday? So was I. Yeah. All, yeah. I, all three of us, I guess. I mean, I yeah. just had enough time to get my catheter worked out. And so it was, <laughs> it was all good to yeah. get ready for that. Yeah. Um, I came out of, I, as I was watching it, there were, there were some moments where I was just completely nose wide open and smiling, smiling along the way. But it was more for me about recognizing the kind of history of my own cinephilia, mm -hmm. of, of recognizing who Scorsese is, mm -hmm. um, the type of film that only he is capable of making, mm -hmm. or, or more importantly, the type of film that only he is interested <laughs> in making, yeah. right? That, that his kind of consistent motivation to, to, to kind of his, his very distinctive epic swagger. Mm -hmm. um, I found the film, I was very surprised by the arc, particularly the last third, mm -hmm. um, uh, which for me was a kind of, in terms of speaking to your morbid point, mm -hmm. the, the, the kind mm -hmm. of chilling consequences of, of, of this life. You yeah. die alone or, 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 you're, or you know, there's, there's no kind of writing off in the sunset moment. Yeah. I mean, throughout, I mean, the number of times that we're introduced to a character and immediately told, you know, yeah. uh, January 12, yeah. 1998, shot in the back of the head. I mean, there's just yeah. this kind of random uh, uh, of tally of, of disposability. It's an, mm -hmm. it's an epic disposability tale. Yeah. Uh, which for me, I mean, there was another film, The Traitor, that mm -hmm. that I'd seen the traitor just before I'd seen the Irishman, oh, wow. and then it's <laughs> a lot. And for me, there's there's there was something about the distance between those two films, which mm -hmm. also taught me, or, or or revealed to me a bit about, you know, the later statements that Scorsese has made about the mm -hmm. the difference between that uh, that we don't live in a time where there is uh, enough cinema of mystery or cinema that takes mm -hmm. risks. Um, and for me, the traitor does that in a way that the Irishman doesn't. Hmm. Uh, and and more importantly, can we hold the Irishman to the same standards that Scorsese insists on? Um, hmm. So I came out, I was excited, I was happy, but there was a, a, a little bit of, I suppose, ambivalence about the experience. Mm -hmm. well, where, where was the like shortfall for you in terms of the movie? Like what was, was it... The sense that you just see. Well, no, no, I enjoy. No? I yeah. let me be clear. I enjoyed the film. <laughs> it's, it's fine. I'm it's, it's just that the comments that he made later on about a particular uh, kind of cinema yeah, that must them. be mysterious and take risks is not that film. It's not. It, the Irishman is not that film. Right. Uh -huh. It's not that film, and I also don't feel particularly invested in the kind of canonical arguments as well. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I remember when I moved to New York in 95, and then the very next year we had Susan Sontag's The, the Decay of Cinema and The Death of Cinema. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, I get really tired of filmmakers who are like, you kids get off my cinema lawn. <laughs> and then, you know, you know I, I, kids, I, I adore the fact that Hitchcock means so much to him. Mm-hmm. But what I saw in the New York Film Festival mm -hmm. is not bound by that kind of generational canonical code. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I like mm -hmm. the Irishman. Though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's, I, I definitely, yeah, I mean that the weight of the canon with this movie, w yeah, is maybe one of the some of the misgivings I had. Maybe that there is some death in that as well. I don't know. Just 
the sense of, of, of being attached to a certain a certain way of showing things in a certain arc and a certain well you were there you were there for the 9 a.m screening yes. right when uh-huh. when they told the story about how pacino needed to be told that hoffa was 49 when he got out of that seat mm, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so there's got a spring so out. i was i i I appreciated that it wasn't strictly an issue around mm-hmm. CGI, that there had to be, that, that there was Bodily. a physical component to mm-hmm. sell the CGI, yeah. as opposed to the ways in which this technology, as, as they said that day, was used on the lowest scale. So mm-hmm. really, if you want to see this technology on its highest scale, mm-hmm. you have to see Will Smith's Gemini Man, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, which yeah. actually made me interested about a Will Smith film. Right. Um, I might have <laughs> yeah. to see what happens when this technology right. is really opened up. But yeah, on that yeah. micro level, I I was convinced. Yeah, yeah. I was convinced. Yeah. You know what? What you just said about everything you saw at the New York Film Festival yeah. and this, you know, maybe it doesn't really fit all that well. Yeah. I didn't walk into this film really expecting to like it. And right. not because I don't like Scorsese. It's just, I these films that we just talked about, those were the films I'd just seen in festivals right before. They're such different films. And this right. seemed like an odd film for this moment in time. Right. And all the discussion and anticipation for it and all the talking around de-aging, it just had me so exhausted that I... Right. And the <laughs> length, the very intimidating length. And I was surprised by how moved I was by it. And one of the reasons I hope people get to see it in theaters, it's sadly not going to be possible for everyone. But one of the reasons is really duration is such an important element of it. You have to sit through the film. You have to really get a sense. You you have to feel the epic sweep of it in your body. I you know, and and so as it's charting the life of this mobster gangster Frank Sheeran played by De Niro you know from this young upstart and as he's rising through Mm. the ranks Mm. of the mafia Mm. and gets really embroiled into the mysterious death of um, Jimmy Hoffa there's something a little bit muddled I think about how the story is told I think the length even three and a half hours seemed like it might have been an effort to get it to that length and Mm. so Mm. my initial impression was this is sort of ungainly. It's muddled. There's loopholes. There's certain scenes that don't make sense to me completely that feel really decontextualized. But still, what I walked away with was just the fact that it was so imbued with real feeling. That mm. took me by surprise. Yeah, yeah. Is, mm-hmm. it, it's just such a genuinely moving film. It's a film in which all these mechanics, all this drama of disposability right. is still undergirded with so much emotional elegance and and sort of a genuine sense for what this means in a person's life, what this means for a generation's, you know, morality. And also, at some point, I was like, you know what, I just have to, sometimes you just have to step back and be like, I'm just going to appreciate the craft on display in this right. film. You know, mm-hmm. Forget about everything else. This is just some amazing acting on yeah, screen. Yeah, like, like I said, yeah, no, well. one, no one else is, is capable or interested in making a film like The Irishman now, except for him. And, and, I, and I really adored that fact. Yeah, I mean, it's, the performances are powerful. All, seeing all these legends together is mm. a real treat, you know? And maybe that's sort of a... <laughs> that might be sort of like a a, a a canon fetish kind of thing to say, but it genuinely is such a pleasure to watch right. them all act together and bring and turn the roles that we've seen them play over all these years into something else, into something that imbibes the awareness of their age and of their place in mm-hmm. popular culture today. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's self-aware in that way, not in a smug way. But in this deeply sad, sort of poignant way. Right. Which implicates us. Because we have grown uh, in, in our own respective cinephilia mm-hmm. with watching these types of Scorsese films. And there is a measure of self-reflection in this film that, uh, that demands that we think about the ways, that, the, the kind of pleasure that we've derived from this work. Because there's some very real issues around consequence. Uh, that I don't think had been explored 
as extensively. I mean, you think about that final scene in Casino where he's just those gigantor framed glasses and he's sitting there alone. (laughs) And then the film ends. I mean, there's a moment comparable in The Irishman and then the film goes on for 45 minutes where you're really inhabiting this place of, all right, this is the life for which we have grown so accustomed to seeing and and become a part of our popular culture. Uh, And this is how it plays out. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think one of the things I found initially ungainly about the film is like is I thought there is a some uneven pacing. It moves really fast for the first half or the right. first two thirds, and then it just slows down. Oh yeah. In a way that initially, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I found jarring yeah. at first. There's a little then, whiplash when you're yeah. just suddenly like, wow. Yeah. This, yeah, in in more ways than one, you know. Yeah. There's this immobilization this is the in of old men, exactly. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> but then that becomes so significant and so meaningful, and that sort of becomes the trajectory of the film, you know, right. going from this rapid fire, disposable way mm. of life to then when life becomes more about these rhythms, about just getting through each day and not Mm -hmm. really having that much to look forward to and only plenty to look back at. Um, And the fact that it's that, towards the end it becomes this sort of drama about, you know, how to get through life, how to get through life in its later stages. And the fact that, and and the fact that that comes at the end of this, mob right epic is it's just not something i've personally i can't remember anything like this having seen anything like that um having those two modes come together in this way and reflect on each other so at the at the end of the day for all its flaws i just i found it wonderful i found it wonderful and i will always think of it as i said in terms it's it's one end of a of a of a self-reflexive pull and the other is definitely the traitor for me and then there's Dirty Grandpa, of course, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in the mix. Um, I was I would have said BoJack Horseman. Bojack. <laughs> Wait, De Niro's in that? No, no, no. Oh, okay. I know, I'm just talking about characters having yeah. self-reflection. Oh, right. yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 that's, <laughs> that's the, I was like... The crucial reckoning of self-reflection. BoJack, he just takes off the yeah, mask. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it's and it's actually De Niro, De Niro. Yeah. De Niro. all this while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of the great twists, definitely. Um, well, I think that might be... a good way to come to the end of the road um so to speak for this one um any final thoughts or any final films you want to throw out there there's plenty more we could talk about but uh i don't know i suppose i have a uh, i would love to just say that for people that give a shit about film Mm -hmm. to any time that you're reading a piece it would behoove you to do a search about who's doing the writing Um, And I'm saying this particularly thinking about uh, the kind of um, inane film criticism that was generated around the Joker. Uh, Or or it's Uh, not the Joker, it's Joker, right? Just Joker. Just Joker, right. uh, uh, or, Or even things most recently with the HBO series The Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Right. Also, Watchmen. Yeah. That's also, right. Watchmen. My God. A lot of. Cost- I'm an English major. I, I should know this. My articles are screwed. Uh, I mean, they're just. See- I mean, I understand that we are in a very crucial historical and cultural moment, but I still think that film criticism has value when it's being practiced by people who actually have training. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. 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 I'm amazed at the amount of film criticism that's being written by sociologists, by, by political scientists, um, uh, by people in general who seem to have this opinion that, oh, I have a TV, I, I like films, right. I can speak on them. And, yeah. and, these, and major, uh, major newspapers publish their work. <laughs> and this work yeah. circulates. And it's, uh, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> so please... Google 
whoever you're reading and mm-hmm. find out do they actually have any training in film right or are they just a person with an opinion <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you know what they say about opinions um but <laughs> <laughs> take them to poughkeepsie that's what they say take that mess to poughkeepsie <laughs> um, i i have a final note also oh, please, yes. i didn't say this when we were discussing the irishman but that is also in our latest issue and it's Nick true. wrote about it oh, and oh, about really? death did, and yes. morbidity. So <laughs> I just there's just a little rain cloud over me, my head the whole time. It's like pig pen and peanuts, except it's over my head. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and true. can I quickly just say, um, what was another film that I thought I um, I think Pedro Costa's film is is my favorite of the year. Uh, that yes. and First Cow for sure. Yes. Uh, and there's something that still makes me feel very warm and fuzzy about the whistlers. Yes. The, the whistlers. I, uh, yeah, I, no. I, I, I love just thinking about that film. Yeah. Me, I, me, me too. That's, that's a movie that, um, those, you just gave three reasons to look forward to next year. Right. Right. Next year. <laughs> and, uh, Garrett Bradley's short film, America. Oh yeah. Which I, I, I interviewed her at Sundance and we, I did a little feature. Oh, yeah. Oh, and that's I, right. The, the film. Yeah, that was. Oh, that's a good piece. Yeah, yeah. I. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just discovered it by complete chance because some people were talking about how good it was at Sundance. Right. The same day, I just met her at one of these lounges, and we just talked for two hours. And I adore the film. She is brilliant. Yeah, it's yeah. it's one of my favorites of the year as well. And mm-hmm. it just got a week long uh, theatrical run at BAM. So yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, I was a part of the of the roundtable discussion with Nicole Fleetwood and Raquel Gates. Oh, great! But oh, wow. I mean, what Ashley Clark was able to do at BAM, I think, is 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 why sometimes if you really if you would, if you like film. You should really follow curators closely, <laughs> because his curation around America was curation as 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 kind of a um, an act of study, of of to be able to um, curate that film every night in a different way to appreciate just how it resonates. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and thanks to that week long run. People can include it in their best of year lists because officially. Give me the best of year list and buy your <laughs> plane tickets to Houston, where Garrett's f- oh. solo show, her first solo show, oh, great. is getting ready to open at the Contemporary Art Museum of Houston. Oh, wow. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. Just, uh, just for the, for, the, for uh, you know, these are your to-do lists, items on your to-do <laughs> list. Um, plenty to look forward to. Um, all right. Well, I think we can wrap it up there. Um, but thank you both for a wonderful journey. Uh, thanks for uh, having the heat on in here. <laughs> sure. That's why we're here. Yeah, that's, that's why I'm here. Phil comment, Phil comment. We'll leave the light on. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Greta Gerwig about her triumphant new adaptation of Little Women, and essays on Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, The Safdie Brothers' Uncut Gems, Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and the action films of Tamil director Vetri Madan. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com.